0: Drabblecast, episode 271. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week for the final week, we're brought to you by Final Rune Productions post-apocalyptic audio drama, The Cleansed. We know you like strange stories and audio fiction, and we hope that the haunting world of the cleansed will whet your appetite. This is a full-cast, orchestral-scored audio epic set in a human-made catastrophe in the not-so-distant future, and it's gritty, man. It really grabs you by the balls and doesn't let go. And not in the sexy way, either. And also not in the weird, pervy way. I don't know, forget I said anything. I think the audio speaks for itself. Here, listen to this.
1: Yeah? Do you remember the story
2: of Jonah and the whale?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, why?
2: Well, that whole thing about being in the belly of the beast. Okay. That's how it felt that night. Locked in Tully's barn, with the smell of the pig manure all around me. Stuffed in moldy hay. Knowing that at any time, he might just come back.
1: It's okay, Maria.
2: No, Luke... No, Luke it's not okay. It's not okay at all
3: one hand and oh, gosh oh. Oh. No. <laughs> Pigs, hey, pig, pigs! Pig. You like corn husks, don't ya? Corn cob too. Hungry, ain't ya? Too bad. Too bad you gotta keep your appetite for something special, real special, huh? Where am I? You shut up! I talk to you first. Let's see if you can answer my questions um, now. D- no! Tell me where you come from. I haven't started yet, little girl. You know my pigs is hungry. You're hurting me. I wouldn't stick my hand in there. Oh, you've got it now. You give little piggy a snack and he wants the whole meal. I figure. Come on, you dumb kid. Where'd you come from? North. North. North, huh? Hey, what is North? You live with that man? He your dad? Or maybe your special friend? No. You're too pretty to be loose in the wilderness. You come from good ranch. You still got all your teeth. Though, well, not all your fingers. No. Quit your crying, girl. You quit it, or I'll give you something to cry about. Why? Why? Why Why you got to trespass on my property, little girl? Why you got to go after Tully's corn? Tully, the only farmer saved the non genetic before the war. Now everybody wants his corn but you can't have it. None of you can. Please! I hate that word. Please, 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 don't do this, don't do that, old Tully. All of them want forgiveness, but none of them don't eat the corn. If you eat the corn, what my pig's gonna eat? I tell you, it's one big circle. You can't eat people, that'd be cannibalizing. Some do it, but Tully don't. I ain't stooping that low. But if you get to hog to do the work first, why? There ain't nothing wrong with eating the hog. <laughs> now, what'd you go and do that for? I didn't say we were feeding you. You're too pretty. Oh, Telly, he can use a little missy like you around. Get away from me. Oh, it's me and the hogs, little girl. Which do you want? Get away. Ah, oh. Oh, you little witch, you witch. We will eat you now. Come on. Show little girl why she took Tully instead of you. No, no. John!
0: One big circle indeed. I mean, you can't eat people. That'd be cannibalism. Like I said, the last week of the sponsorship, if you haven't given the cleansed a shot yet, you should. I don't promote stuff on this show that I don't like, or that I think you won't like. TheCleansed.com forward slash Drabblecast for some awesome deals. The whole 45-minute prologue and all of episode one are free and uncut there. The whole box set of the show is there for sale in digital and CD, along with accompanying full-color artwork. TheCleansed.com forward slash Drabblecast. right, let's get this party started with a hundred-word story. This week's Drabble comes from Jeff Johnston, and it's called Babbling Idiot. Jeff is a correctional officer from Canada who, when not listening to the Drabblecast, collects and restores old radio programs. Neat hobby. He's also quite the Drabbler, too, as this is his fourth Drabble produced on the show. Ted screamed in terror as his face and neck began to twist and contort. His neck bulged, then constricted, then bulged again. His jawbone cracked as muscles pushed it forward. His palate split, splaying his sinuses open. Teeth loosened and fell out. Some turned inward. New teeth grew in places that teeth should never grow. His tongue bifurcated and lengthened, then fell out. A new, grotesque parody growing in its place. The agony was excruciating. When Ted made the wish to be fluent in all languages, he should have given more thought to just how big the universe is. So, this week's show, Trifecta Special number 23. Three different short stories, three different authors, three different storytellers, one common theme. Our theme this week, communication breakdown, stories of people and things not quite on the same page. And as our Drabble this week taught us, nobody's exempt from communication snafus. So long as there are languages, there will always be language barriers and there are a lot of languages. 6,912 to be exact, and 39,491 more alternate languages and unique dialects. In Swedish, for example, the word swagger actually means testicle cancer. And that's, of course, a statement, not a fact. In Germany, they inflect the imperative form of speech by opening their mouths and making German come out. In Japan, people often have a Hyundai accent. In Great Britain, they call something stuck between your teeth another tooth. And here in America, we call trampolines jumpolines. Or at least we used to, until your mom got on one. Burn, as it were. Hey don't hate the playa. Hate the Spanish word for beach. Habit five of Stephen Covey's seven habits for highly over-caffeinated people is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply, filtering everything through their own little skewed paradigm. Turns out nine out of 10 people unable to see eye to eye just aren't looking to understand. And the 10th person is Stevie Wonder. Our first story this week is Fool by Stephen R. Stewart. Stephen is a 2009 graduate of Uncle Orson's Literary Boot Camp and an active member of SFWA and the Codex Writers Group. His stories have appeared in Intergalactic Medicine Show, Redstone, Daily Science Fiction, Brain Harvest, and Red Penny Papers, and his nonfiction blog posts have been featured by the SFWA. The story is read to you by Chris Reynaga, writer, storyteller, and all around swell dude. Chris is a graduate of Clarion West's Writers' Workshop and is a winner of both the L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future Award and the Bazanella Literary Award. He has stories in the Book of Cthulhu II, Notosaurus, Cemetery Dance, the American River Literary Review, and here on the Drabblecast, a few weeks ago with his Cthulhu-Moby Dick mashup, I Only Am Alone Escaped to Tell Thee. So, without further ado, we bring you Fool by Stephen R. Stewart.
1: Moths dotted the back wall of the house clinging to the faded siding in spots where the heat that escaped from indoors was strongest. The weather had grown cold, the trees were ablaze with orange, and the deadly birds were already flying their way south. With the danger gone and winter on its way, the moths hung tight to the wall, reflected on their lives, and waited to die. All but one. You, my friend, were aptly named, said Gray. Fool didn't waste his energy getting upset. He concentrated on keeping his wings against his body. Imagine the heat inside, circulating, keeping him alive. Gray persisted. You're planning not to die, is that it? It's already been sixteen days, buddy. We're only supposed to make it fifteen. If I were you... I'd see if I could find a desperate female and do a little last-minute fertilization. It's too late for that, Broken Wing said, his small body shaking. Isn't it? I could, but be wrong. Nearby, a moth fell lifelessly to the wooden deck. Fool didn't look. Gray pretended not to notice. Brokenwing Wing stared for a long time back legs nervously combing over the crooked place on his left wing. Look around, fool," said. Even if I wanted to do that, and I don't. Broken Wing is right. It's too late. I wonder what my babies will look like, Broken Wing said. Their mom was beautiful. A lot like grubs, I bet, Gray said. They'll be beautiful, fool, said. You did good, Broken Wing. You too, Gray. Broken Wing smiled weakly. Gray looked away. It's so stupid. I'm never even going to see them, but I still love the shit out of them, you know. Another moth fell off the wall. Then another. Fool wondered how many of the ones still clinging to the wall were alive, and how many were already dead. "'That's what kills me about this whole thing, fool,' Gray said. "'You're the coolest guy I know, and after this, your line just stops. "'When you die, you disappear. "'Your genetics go up in smoke. "'And for what? "'For some bird? "'For some pretty predator?' Fool fluttered his wings once. Don't call her that. Gray fluttered back. She's an oriole, Fool. They eat us. Your crush isn't gonna change that. You've seen me with her, Fool said. It's not a crush. She loves me. She scares the hell out of me, Gray said. It's part of the attraction, Fool said. She's big and wild and dangerous, and she treats me like I'm the most important thing in the world. It's like kissing a flame and not getting burned. She can't love you, Gray said. They don't know the meaning. When we promised to be faithful to each other, that was a sacrifice for her, too. You didn't see her, Gray, crying over her unfertilized eggs. Why? Gray said. What the hell are you both sacrificing for? Love, Fool said. Just love. Metaphysical, eternal, bigger than genetics and nature and the goddamn winter cold. It suddenly occurred to Fool that Broken Wing had stopped shivering. He climbed over and nudged him. Brokenwing fell, twirling to the ground like a leaf. Gray turned away, his body trembling. Shit. Not him. Go to the earth, old friend, Fool said. They were silent for a long time. A few scattered snowflakes began to drift out of the sky. Fool watched one pass so close, it refracted the light and broke the world into pieces. That's why you'll make it. Gray said, All the way through the winter and into the spring. Because you have something to hope for. Something bigger than just making grubs and dying. That means a lot, Gray. Thank you. Sometimes I'm afraid I won't make it. That I'll never see her again. Gray shook. You will. In the spring. In the spring, Fool agreed. I want to be quiet now. Okay. Let me know if you want to talk some more. A few minutes passed. When Fool finally nudged Gray, he didn't respond. He wanted to wish Gray farewell on his journey, but he couldn't find his voice. Fool scooted himself into a crack in the siding and thought about the warmth in his body circulating, like it had in his cocoon so many days before. He wondered if his Oriole had flown somewhere warm yet. He hoped she wasn't cold, wherever she was. The curtain of snow thickened. Fool clung to his life and waited for spring.
0: The next story is The Desire of Houses by Hadar Copley-Woods. Hadar has stories and essays about in Strange Horizons, PodCastle, and Minnesota Public Radio. This story was reprinted in several places, including Best American Erotica and Strange Horizons. She lives with her family in Minneapolis. So let's turn up the heat a little bit in here, shall we? We bring you The Desire of Houses by Hadar Copley-Woods. The woman's step on the stair is labored, and the cord hanging at the bottom trembles with excitement. Her hands are busy carrying laundry. She will have to turn on the light with her mouth. In the dark, to find the cord correctly, she must caress it with the tip of her pink tongue briefly, and the wicked, wicked pleasure of it more than makes up for the bite and the sharp jerk which turns on the bulb. The cord over the washing machine, the braided one, is waiting joyously for the teeth. The floor is sulking. She almost always wears shoes in the basement, and the cement lies all day in agony, listening to the first floor's boards, sighing loudly in ecstasy at the touch of her bare heels. All it can hope for in its slow, cold way is that the woman will scoop the cat boxes, squatting on her heels after she starts a load of laundry. Today, oh, oh joy, she does. The floor is practically writhing at the smell of her. She always showers after the scooping, so her scent is thick, the tangy, rich odor. The cement feels Or maybe it's just wishful thinking, just a bit of her damp warmth. But then she is sweeping the floor, oblivious as always to the swooning house around her, ruining the floor's pleasure with the horrible scented litter that she sweeps up and tosses back in the box. She yanks open the dryer, who feels violated and then guilty for enjoying it, dumps the hot panting shirts and shorts into a basket and heads back upstairs, carefully turning off the lights to avoid the lecture about electricity the man will give her later if she doesn't. Even minutes later, the cords are still shaking in the darkness. She folds the clothes neatly and quickly, then smooths each piece with her hand. It's hard to say who enjoys this the most, the shirts or the table she presses them upon. And then the man is knocking on the kitchen door. She opens it for him and he growls at her to stop locking him out when he is gardening. He leaves it unlocked for a reason. The woman is getting tired of this particular topic, and instead of apologizing, snaps crisply that she has no memory of locking it, and indeed she hasn't. The house just wanted a few more precious moments alone with her. He stomps back outside, and she carefully checks that it is unlocked, even while muttering against the man under her breath. The door handle is sure it isn't his imagination that her hand lingers on the brass. The man has tracked mud on the kitchen floor, who nearly faints with joy when she notices. She looks closer at the cracked and peeling linoleum and foregoes the mop for a rag and brush. She mutters about how disgusting the floor is, how utterly, utterly filthy, as her nail digs at an especially difficult spot yes yes squeaks the floor who like the braided cord over the washer likes it rough afterwards she heads up the stairs which groan loudly at the feel of her toes to take her shower despite its lascivious reputation the shower couldn't care less about the woman even as he rains fat droplets down on her breasts The bathtub, the sole dissenter in the house, yearns for the muscular, fleshy rump of the man. He hasn't felt it in ages, as it is summer and not time for long, hot baths. The man, cursing, fumbles with the kitchen door and has to find his key with dirt-encrusted fingers deep in his pockets. He steps inside, notices the floor has been washed, and carefully removes his shoes, muttering that she'll probably want to be thanked now that she's done her annual, unprompted house-cleaning chore, then peers suspiciously down the stair to be sure she hasn't left a light on in the basement again. The midsummer sky is growing dim as he showers, unwittingly spurning the tub so far below while the woman brushes her teeth. The orgiastic moaning of the toothbrush annoys the towel incredibly because, after all, who is it that gets to cradle her every last curve, rubbing, rubbing, and then contentedly wrap herself around the woman's breast and hips for a little post-pleasure snuggling? It is too hot for even a tank top and the woman lies flat on the sheet staring up into the dark and wonders how long it has been like this just today all year she hasn't felt so awkward angry unlovable and unloving since junior high she feels flabby flat-chested gray and wrinkled the man Annoyed as he is with the woman, sees the curve of her thigh in the light from the window and slides in next to her, giving it a tentative caress. He spent all morning with his eyes on the game, grunting once noncommittally when she had asked if it was her turn to do the laundry. And after lunch, he had flat out refused to dance with her when a slow waltz came on the radio. He didn't feel like it, he said. She swats him away as she would a fly. The ceiling fan stares down in utter loathing at the man who sighs and rolls away from the woman. If she was mine, thinks the fan. Oh, how I would waltz with her around and around and around. Final story this week is Spider Song by Alex Schwartzman. Alex is a writer and game designer whose adventures so far have included traveling to over 30 countries, playing card games for a living, and building a successful business from scratch. Alex resides in Brooklyn, New York with his wife and son. The story is read to you by Michelle Restuccia, writer, podcaster, and co-host of the Pendragon Dragon Variety podcast, a podcast for aspiring genre fiction writers. Find them at pendragonvariety.com. So gather round, children, for story time. We bring you Spider Song by Alex Swartzman.
2: We listen to the Spider Song. The spiders are far away, just at the edge of our senses, whispering a haunting and beautiful melody into our minds. The grown-ups are oblivious, as always. They are having several conversations at once around the campfire, laughing and gossiping. It's a nuisance because we can't enjoy the spider song nearly as well, not with all the distraction. We use a reliable trick. We have Sheila ask for a story. Sheila is the youngest and she hates to speak using words even more than the rest of us. But we nudge her along and she tugs on old Jens's coat. He is only too happy to oblige. Kids and grown-ups alike gather around the fire. Everyone else quiets down and settles in to listen to Jens. What story would you like, dear? asks Jens. Do you want to hear about the home world or about our voyage among the stars? Nah, that stuff's boring, says Sheila. Tell us about the spiders. Jens frowns. The grown-ups don't like the spiders at all. But Sheila looks pleadingly up at Jens with big hazel eyes, and he surrenders. When our ship crashed nineteen years ago, things were real bad. We had very little food and supplies, and only a vague idea about how to live off the land. There were many problems and dangers to overcome, but the spiders, they were the worst. Some of the grown-ups shift uncomfortably. They stare past the silk-covered trees at the edge of the clearing and into the darkness of the forest, fearing an ambush. We know there are no spiders lurking nearby. Their song is still very far away. The spiders of this world were the scariest creatures we've ever encountered, Jen says. They were fast. Sadly and huge, three times the size of a man. Too much for us to handle. We lost seven people in two months and had no choice but to abandon the original camp and move further away from the forest. Eva, the eldest of the children, shares her memory of the crash site. It's all corroded metal and scorched ground, an uncomfortable, almost alien place we break away from the image and take solace in the spider song which is a little louder now and very soothing years went by and the rescue we had hoped for never came we made a life for ourselves in the relative safety of the plains but our fledgling colony needed the forest we gathered plants hunted game and collected spider silk, despite the danger. Kyle caresses his spider silk sweater. It's very rugged, but soft and warm, and all of us like how it feels against Kyle's fingertips. Not a year went by without us losing at least one person to the bugs. It was bad, until the children began to grow up until we realized that those born on this planet could sense the spiders somehow, from a distance. Eva and Kyle share a memory from when they were very little. In it, they walk past the silk-covered trees to fill a bucket of water from the nearby lake. Suddenly, a spider emerges, far from the deep forest its kind inhabits. Eva and Kyle are terrified. The spider looms over them, but it doesn't attack. Instead, it prods and probes at their thoughts. Then it fills their heads with music. Fear evaporates. They are mesmerized by the melody. Clumsily, the children sing back. For several minutes, the spider listens patiently to their attempts, and then retreats gracefully toward the trees. Jen's pat Sheila on the head. We don't know what it is that makes you kids born on this world different, but we are thankful anyhow. This is why we bring kids on every hunting trip now. You can tell us when the spiders are coming. We haven't lost a single person in the last few years. Safe and comfortable by the fire, the grown-ups are nodding off. Jens continues to tell stories, but they are only noise. We listen to the spider song. It is loud now, a chorus from many spiders who are gathering, dozens of them, drawing nearer and surrounding the camp. The spiders are aware of us, and we of them. We aren't afraid. We are both of this world, the spiders and us. Just like the spiders, we are a hive, able to share thoughts and emotions, and be close with each other in a way our parents could never understand. It's only the adults, the intruders, the aliens whose minds are mute, that the spiders hate. The spiders are singing a war song. It is full of joy, anticipation of victory, and demise of their enemies. We sing back to the spiders with our minds, strong and confident this time, our thoughts in full harmony with theirs. They are almost here.
0: our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed. Oh yeah, plenty of good stories packed in this episode, huh? Isn't it cool you get it all for free? We like to think so. But if you happen to be in front of a computer or a smartphone or multi-vac at the moment, consider dropping us a donation via the credit card slash PayPal links over at if you want to be awesome. You can show us some love and help out. You'll see a little donate to the Drabblecast section to the right of the page. Your support goes directly into fueling the engines of this publication, paying authors professional rates for their work, licensing music, all sorts of groovy stuff. We really appreciate it. All right, moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, Jay Mariah with this one. Using the Weight Watchers food tracker is so frustrating. Gingerbread, seven points per serving. Child, not even listed. 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We have a weekly contest. Try writing one yourself. Post it in the TwitFix section of our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. Follow The Drabblecast on Twitter at The Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Gino Moretto. Gino's a husband, father, teacher, and struggling artist living in Wellington, New Zealand. When he's not teaching drama or wrangling his two sons, Angelo and Lorenzo, he enjoys gaming, listening to podcasts, and exploring the arcane secrets of Photoshop. So, our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, managing editor, our submissions editor, Nathan Lee, editor-at-large, Matthew Bay, our art director, Beau Kire, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman. Reminding you, if you eat the corn, what's my pigs gonna eat?